0: final series of the year. Wow. I'm so excited to hear and start our series on maturity. Sure. Nope. Hello. Yeah. Wild eh? like our last Wednesday night like chapel series. We're going in through the month of March and uh, that's That'll be it for our Wednesday nights. Thankfully, we still got our grad chapels. Thankfully, we got our Monday mornings. Hey, First John, hasn't it been great going through that together? Like, so good going through that together. Uh, can I encourage you, uh, for those who are going into pastoral ministry, to make sure you do sermon series where you are just going word for word through the books, okay? To pick a book and go word for word through it, because it will cause you to speak on things that you wouldn't normally speak on. Okay? Like even Caleb, I was not here on Monday because we had our credential interviews. Uh, but speaking on sin, right, not one of the easiest topics to speak on. Uh, but if you choose a Bible, or a Bible, choose a book out of the Bible <laughs> and work your way through it, it will cause you to speak on things you wouldn't normally do because we're to preach the whole council. Amen? The whole council. Anybody in here have a mentor in their life? Yeah? right on. Good for you. Um, I believe in mentors. I believe in having a good mentor. I believe in having multiple good mentors in your life. And I have been blessed in my life to have some very, very wonderful men who I look up to, who I choose to follow. I choose to ask questions. I choose to almost to the point of annoy them by just being near them, and saying, hey, what about this, or texting this, or hey, this, that, here, there, what do you think? And uh, I love a good mentoring relationship. I also count it an honor to be a part of that in people's lives. You know that research shows that those who have good mentoring experiences will have a greater chance of success in their vocation those who have good mentoring experiences. Uh, Making of a leader, J.R. Clinton, he writes this. He says, leaders who are effective and finish well will have 10 to 15 significant people who came alongside them. 10 to 15 significant people who came alongside them. Yeah, leaders who are effective and finish well will generally have 10 to 15 significant people who came alongside them. Yeah. Yeah. Healthy churches need to have healthy leaders. And to get a place to where you have a healthy leader to lead a healthy church will cause sheep to be healthy. And when sheep are healthy, what happens? They multiply. When sheep are healthy, they multiply. And so leaders need to be healthy. And having mentoring experiences is wonderful. And many have mentoring experiences, but few have mentoring relationships in their life. And unfortunately, we don't hold it as a high regard as what we see revealed in Scripture through many relationships. And so uh, what we are talking about in this sermon series for the month of March is uh, not mentoring, but another M word, which is Maturity. We are going to talk about maturity for the next couple of weeks, and uh, I'm super pumped about this subject, about the scripture that we're going to go through. I'm also excited because next week we have guest speakers that are going to be here. Darcy and Leanne McAllister are going to be here. Uh, Darcy was a mentor of mine while I was in school. I met with him weekly. Uh, and spent time with him. At the time, he was our youth director in our district, what Andy Gabrick currently is right now. And I was lucky enough to be one of the few guys in the youth program that hung out with Darcy on a weekly basis, and he was a mentor of mine. So I'm excited to have him come with his wife and share. Uh, it's going to be awesome. They are fire and uh, super, super great. Uh, almost to the point where they'll say things that might be a little bit hurtful and awkward, but you know that it's true, and so you feel that conviction. And you're like, ouch! don't you care that that hurt a little bit? And they're like, nope. And they just kind of dig in a little bit more. That's them. And they, uh, they do it with such love. They do it with such compassion. There's no doubt in my mind that they do it out of sincerity of wanting to see people grow. Uh, and I'm so excited that it's like, it just worked out with them being here and this subject that we're talking about. Uh, they're not specifically going through the passage that Kim and I are going to be going through. Uh, but it, who they are aligns with so much of what we're discussing um, in these next few weeks. So what's the goal of mentoring? Well, it depends on where you're going, but for us, it's maturity. It's spiritual maturity. It's discipleship. That's our goal is discipleship, is spiritual maturity to increasingly become more like Jesus. And so we're going to look at a mentoring relationship in Scripture through Paul and Timothy. Paul and Timothy had a great mentoring relationship of someone who is a leader over someone, but choosing to sacrifice their life, their time, their words, their investment into building up this young Timothy. So before we get to our passage, I just want to give you some background on Timothy. Paul, he traveled around and he planted churches, he started new churches and he had a team of leaders that would travel with him, Timothy being a part of that team. You can read about it in Acts that he met Timothy in Lystra through his grandmother and his mother who were faithful and then he noticed the passion that Timothy had for the things of Jesus and so he mentored him for years to follow, eventually sending him on missions to different churches. And when Paul got word about this group of leaders who were infiltrating a significant church in Ephesus and teaching poor theology and being selfish and being loud and being arrogant, and these word came to, fall or to Paul, he sent Timothy to Ephesus. He sent Timothy to this church to confirm if these reports were true about these leaders, and then, to do the hard part, confront them in their leadership. And so after Timothy arrived there, Paul sent this letter, 1 Timothy, that we're going to look through, to Timothy as a follow-up to instruct him on how to fulfill his mission. That he had to confront leaders on their bad theology, Pretty easy thing to do, right? Yeah. They had strange, distorted teachings. They were obsessed about the Torah. Their teachings were not consistent with that of Jesus and of the apostles. They talked about uh, food, specifically meat, that they were not to ingest. I guess they were a bunch of vegans there. Not all meat, specifically meat, of course, sacrificed to idols and whatnot. That meat was bad. You cannot eat it. That marriage was bad and that you should not get married. That sex is bad. And they're having all this bad teaching in the church. Also, a huge, important ministry in the church of caring for the widows was being abused. There were... Women, younger women who were abusing this, and some of the older women were being neglected in the giving out of food to the widows. Older men were misbehaving, and specifically alcohol-related, is what Paul writes. And he told to me that he's to confront them, that they are to step down from leadership. There is a problem amongst the Christian slaves, that the church is not to be associated with slave rebellion. These Christian slaves are like, yes, but we're all equal. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, we're all equal. Yes, but we are not to associate Jesus with a rebellion against those who have authority over us. So these problems related to men, related to women. Men were getting into these theological debates that was dividing the church. Women were treating church as their Sunday fashion show. They would commandeer leadership unethically in the church and teaching their bad theology. And so Paul exposes this, exposes all of them and exposes their greed and their love for money, that they're creating this large following so that people would give them money. Ugh, right? Ugh. Good thing that doesn't happen in the church today, right? Ugh, ugh. It does, doesn't it? Ah, it does, doesn't it? So these men and these women were to come under Timothy's leadership and to receive proper theological training. Paul also gave Timothy some practical instructions, and he said, Hold prayer meetings weekly, hold regular church prayer gatherings. And to pray for your leaders and your authorities and your governors. To pray for peace in the land. There was also a leadership crisis. And so he calls Timothy to create an elder team of these husbands and these fathers. To gather together as elders, specifically in this church, men of good character. And then he also called deacons, men and women, to supply and to run the ministries in the church that they too were to have character, just like these men on the elders team in this church. And this they were to be known for this relationship, that they had a healthy relationship amongst themselves, each other, and specifically their families, so that as if they were to be able to lead their families, they too then could lead the family of God, is the picture that Paul laid out for Timothy. What a great picture. And so today... We're going to start this series on maturity. And maturity is the ability to respond to the environment in an appropriate manner. And so specifically for us, we're going to look at it through a spiritual lens, through a biblical lens, and how maturity is the ability to respond biblically to an environment, to a culture in a holy way, in a righteous way. Maturity encompasses, also encompasses being aware of the correct time and location to behave and knowing when to act. I like that. A person just, who can assess a situation, who can assess a relationship, who can assess a circumstance, a context. And they have the maturity of what to say, when to say it, how to say it. The sensitivity to all of that. I love it. So we're going to open up to First Timothy. Specifically, chapter 4. Chapter 4 is what you can open your Bibles to. And this is a chapter that's pretty well known amongst teenagers and young adults. Because there's a specific line in verse 12 that teenagers and young adults love. Right? Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Oh, we love that one, don't we? Because you're like, that's me. That's where I fit in. I want to have a voice too. And so we hear this so often. And I put we in there so I can kind of still feel young. We hear this often, but It gets kind of thrown into sermons, it gets kind of thrown into conversations, or just quoted here and there, and so we've decided that we wanted to dissect fully this chapter and what Paul is instructing to Timothy. And so I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 10 tonight. We're going to focus specifically on verses 6 to 10, but I thought I'd start at the beginning of the chapter, so you can follow along with me. Paul writes this. He says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected it is to, if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer, verse 6. If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself... To be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, and for this we labor and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, and especially of those who believe. Verse 6 A good minister. Of Jesus Christ I don 't know about you but that 's my desire is to be known as to be identified as a good minister of Jesus Christ a good minister of Jesus Christ to me is someone who is spiritually mature who knows what to say at the right time in the right moment in the right context in a sensitive way who can care well who leads With confidence, but with a humbleness, with a sincerity and a passion, but with a sensitivity along with it. So a good minister. Another translation says a good servant. And we're all servants. We're all servants in this family, in this relationship to serve one another. And so we all can fit in this category, whether you're choosing to go into a vocational ministry title or not, that we are all still servants. We're all still ministers of the gospel to go and to preach good news. To preach good news does not just mean through a microphone, through an audio system, to a bunch of people, but it's to live out the testimony of Jesus Christ and to share your faith and your hope with those that are around you. Hey, good. Just wanted to see if you agreed with me on that one. Good. Good. So you've ever been, 100%. You ever been in a situation where, like, things are a little bit dicey, somebody gets a little bit too heated, and it kind of gets a little awkward, and then there's two of you, you and a buddy there, and your buddy jumps the gun and says, first, uh, you go deal with it. Like, you ever been in a situation like that? You ever been in a situation where it's like, um, you're kind of just thrown in to deal with something that you didn't make a mistake in, or a problem that you weren't involved in, but you got to figure out the solution and the resolution to it? Anybody? So when I was at First Ave, Uh, youth pastoring there, being the youth guy, because youth guys get picked on all the time, is uh, if there was ever a situation that arose, uh, and the youth or the senior pastor didn't feel like it was a serious enough situation that the lead had to step in, he's like, hey, youth guy, go deal with that. And you guys know who I'm talking about, because his name's Chuck Coates. He's the one who hired me. And he would call me youth guy all the time. He's like, hey, youth guy, go deal with that. And, uh, so being the naive, excited to be involved in ministry, I'd be like, yeah, absolutely. I'll go do whatever you ask. And uh would we'll deal with situations. So in Chilliwack, in the church that I was at, it is in, a, in an area and in a location in town that is not the safest. A lot of people who are um, poor, which causes a lot of theft, which causes a lot of brokenness, right? So in our church, we also have a daycare that takes place. That's full-fledged daycare before and after school care. And so there's kids and there's families who trust the church and the staff there to take care of their kids. But then there are individuals that have unfortunate decision-making abilities who choose to do things that are unsafe to be around kids, such as alcohol, such as drugs. Okay? I've had to, (laughs) I've had to like break up like physical activity in the back of the parking lot. I've had to break up other forms of physical activity in the parking lot, okay? (laughs) We'll leave it there. I've had to ask people to get off the property because they had like camped on our church property and set up an entire tent and campsite, which was pretty impressive actually, but told them they weren't allowed to live here on property. Uh, there's kids here. We need to make sure that our parents feel safe to drop their kids off. Uh, people who have actually snuck into the building and were living in the building because they didn't want to live in their tent. So they found their way in the building. And I have had to confront them on that and get them out of the building. But all these situations that just come about where it's like, hey, youth guy, go deal with it. I wonder if Timothy kind of felt that way with Paul when he sent him to Ephesus, right? All this controversy going on, all this conflict taking place, arguments and young men getting drunk, women who were uh, making church a fashion show, speaking up negatively towards leadership. And he's like, hey, uh, youth guy, Go deal with Ephesus. I wonder what Timothy thought on his journey and his travel towards the church, towards the city, and what he was going to say and how he was going to say it. And I wonder if he's like, am I ready? Am I prepared enough for this? Uh, I, do, I, do I say this this way, that way? Are people going to hate me? But I want to be a good servant of Jesus Christ. And so that means I'm going to speak the whole counsel. And I'm going to do it in a way of love and of grace and of mercy, but we're going to speak all of it. And so that is what a good servant is, a good minister is, a person who speaks the whole counsel, who speaks all of what Jesus taught and the apostles, and does so in a way of love and of hope to be one of good character, to having favor with men and with women. And so how do we, in preparation, get to that point of a good servant? And so following Paul actually gives us some points regarding that. And the first one is this. A good servant eats well. They eat well. NIV here says in verse 6, if you point these things out to the brothers, preach the whole council, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teachings that you have followed. Another translation says nourished. I love that word. Nourished on the truths of the faith, of the good teachings that you have followed. What are you eating? And I don't mean food. Spiritually. What are you eating? What truths are you being brought up in? What are you nourishing yourself with? Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and exhorting one another with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, all with grace in your hearts. The word dwell means to be at home with. I like that. Who here loves a good home-cooked meal? Yeah. And at college, how often do you miss a home-cooked meal? Although tonight's dinner was like a good home-cooked meal tonight. Wow. It was so good. Uh, so I'm a blessed man. And... Uh, It kind of shows a little bit with my gut that my wife is a really good cook and she makes some really good home cooked meals. That I would rather eat her food than anybody else's food. The best Greek food I've ever had is my wife's food, not in a restaurant. The best Mexican food I've ever had is my wife's food, not in a restaurant. And I've even been to Mexico. The uh, best turkey I've ever had is my wife's turkey. And she just made one like last week, right? Jeff and Julie came over. (laughs) Jeff's face was the best. It was Monday of reading week. And the house smelled amazing. She had baked bread that morning. And there was a cookie... Uh, a cookie, a turkey <laughs> being cooked in the oven, and they're like, "Oh wow, it smells so amazing!" And then Rebecca's just like busy getting things ready and opens the the oven, and Jeff's like, "There's a turkey being baked right now on Monday in Feb- late February for no apparent reason." <laughs> And so she made, like, turkey pot pies, and she made homemade turkey soup, and she's got her grandmother's biscuit recipes. Like, we're talking, mmm, right? You know that feeling? That home-cooked meal? Well, the word dwell. Think of that home. Think of that that coziness of of being filled and satisfied with such a wonderful home-cooked meal is God's desire for his word to richly dwell inside of you. To have that feeling of satisfaction, of knowing God's promises, of knowing his truths. Not these like visitors that who like, you know, are being proper and, and prim and making sure that they don't offend, but someone who is just like, At home, relaxed, full, and satisfied is what God desires for his word to be inside of you. So uh, this guy named Ed Stetzer, he had this article that I had read. And there was this research done through LifeWay Research uh, in regards to um, the biblical illiteracy of our world, specifically here in the U.S. and of the U.K. in which the studies were done in. So, Christians claim to believe that the Bible is God's word. They claim it's God's divinely inspired, inerrant message to us. And despite all of that, study found that only 45% of those who regularly attend church read the Bible more than once a week. 45% read the Bible more than once a week. And some of you are like, oh, that's not that bad, right? That's almost 50%. It's not even 50%, it's still a fail. Right? Like not even 50% read the Bible more than once a week. 1 in 5 never read their Bible. They they claim they never read their Bible. And that's just for those who are being honest in this research. We don't read the Bible And because we don't read the Bible, we don't know the Bible all well. And this is stereotyping. I get that, but follow with me. The United Kingdom Bible Society surveyed British children and found that many could not identify common Bible stories. When given a list of stories, one in three did not choose the nativity as part of the Bible. 60% didn't know that Jonah being swallowed by a great fish is in the Bible. Parents didn't do much better. 30% of parents didn't know about Adam and Eve, David and Goliath, or the Good Samaritan in the Bible. (laughs) 27% think Superman might be a biblical story. (laughs) One in three believe that same thing about Harry Potter. And 54% believe the Hunger Games might have originated from a Bible story. What? What? (laughs) And because our lack of biblical literacy, it has brought a lack of biblical doctrine, right? A lack of our biblical literacy has brought about a lack of biblical doctrine. Lifeway found that about 67% of Americans believe that heaven is a physical, real place. Uh, 45% believe that there's many ways to get there, and uh, including one in five evangelical Christians believe that. And then more than half of evangelicals, 60%, believe that the Holy Spirit is a force and not a personal being. And uh, this, unfortunately, isn't new information. It's not new information. Uh, it's heartbreaking information. And, and it's information that uh, we've kind of been accustomed to a little bit, if we're honest, right? And information that, yes, stereotyping many, but also somewhat applicable in our world, and even in this world, right? This is a struggle that I know many face, and I personally have faced in just daily grinding through knowing God's word. And so I want to challenge you tonight with the mountain that we have to climb in our world's understanding of what Scripture says, that it's possible because I think we're actually more now like the original church, the early church uh, than ever before. And the cultures around us having no sweet clue what Jesus talked about. So we can be the first ones to tell them what Jesus actually talked about. So there's still hope in it. We just have to take on the responsibility of nourishing ourselves, being brought up in truths of the faith, scripture reading and memorization, good teaching Like, graduates, I'm going to charge you right now. Like, you have seven and a half weeks left here, okay? Like, and we're talking of class time. It's like five and a half weeks left, maybe six. Like, these are the last moments that you will have in class with these professors on the regular, Like, soak up as much information from them as you possibly can, because I can guarantee you, in what you will receive after this, unless you further on your education, will be pretty dry compared to what you've been receiving. Now, you can make it wonderful and great, but the effort that you have to put in to receive all this information, it will never be like that again. Okay? So, soak it all up. And everyone else, follow that example. Take in as much as you can get from your classes, from your churches, from small groups, from one-on-one conversations. Receive good teaching. Uh, and then it says uh, in verse seven or 6 there, good teaching that you have followed. Find mentors into your life. Find them. Search them out. Annoy them. Like, bug them to the point where they say, okay, yeah, fine, all right, we'll meet. Like, do whatever it takes, Okay? Uh, When you hit home this summer, whether you're uh, at an internship or you're actually at home or you're out somewhere or you're starting a new career, like find mentors that you surround yourself with on the regular. So in regards to like nourishing ourselves and our bodies, like food, we understand, right? Dieting, we understand what foods we can eat, what foods we should not eat, what will bring about health, what will bring unhealth into our bodies. So it's easy to find out with food. But what are you feeding your soul? What are you feeding your soul? Are you nourishing your soul on God's word, having it richly dwell inside of you? What do you allow your eyes to see? What do you allow your ears to hear? What other worldly junk food are you allowing in to your soul that you could better nourish yourself? on the truths and the things of God. If you want to be a good servant, you need to feed yourself well. Do you expect transformation in your life when you read? Let's be honest, sometimes we don't. We hope for it. Everybody wants transformation to take place, but we don't always expect it. There's people in church that have been in church for years who are still cranky, old, and grumpy, and yet they claim to read God's Word, and they're a part of this church family that is to be about unity and joy, and they don't necessarily transform. And I'm, I don't know if we're, what I'm more concerned about is that transformation hasn't taken place or that we're okay that transformation hasn't taken place. Right, And I'm not just casting blame on others. This is personal too. We should all be uh, looking in the mirror at ourselves about the transformation that's taken in our own lives. We want to change. Many want to change. But the expectation that people experience is not the same. And when we do so, we land in a place of great danger. And John Ortberg, uh, he talks about this. Uh, When we don't experience authentic transformation... We settle for a pseudo-transformation, so kind of a fake transformation, where we're there, but we're not really there. We're to be marked by love and joy and hope and grace, that we've been saved by the light, now called the light to bring hope to the world, and we believe it here, but it hasn't transformed us here. And he says this, if we are truly not transformed, we settle for being informed or conformed which I think brings about a bad theology. Sure, there's information, but it's not delivered right. There's not maturity in the area of assessing a context, a culture, and providing care, sincerity, leadership in a context in a way that will pierce hearts. Whether you have the truth but yet destroy a relationship, the truth isn't going to be received. So you want to throw that second quote up there just so people can see it? If we are not uh, authentically, truly transformed, we will settle for being informed or conformed. So the first one is to eat well. Eat well. Nourish yourself with God's word. Find time in it. And then Also, a good diet isn't just eating a lot of veggies, but it's also restricting yourselves from things that are not healthy for you. And so watch what else you allow into your mind, into your heart, into your soul. Be diligent on that. The second one leads into it is to train hard. The second characteristic of a good servant is to train hard. And I love this one. Oh, I love this point, okay? So in verse 7, he says, Have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. The Greek word for silly myth is old women's tales. Old women tales. That's a funny saying. Old wives' tales. You guys know a couple? What is an old wives' tale? Anybody? Cutting an onion in half while you're sick will absorb your sickness. Like, like just out of you. Wow. (laughs) Put it in a sock and sleep with it. That's my, that's my new Tambi saying. Just put it in a sock and sleep with it. (laughs) Like, don't go outside with your hair cold or hair wet. You'll catch a cold, right? Like that's the old wives tale. What? Don't eat before you swim. Well, some people do throw up though. <laughs> what? I've heard that's true. Mythbusters made that true. She said dogs' mouths are cleaner than yours. Mythbusters said it was true. And I trust those guys. That's okay. It takes seven that was I've never heard that one before. Seven years to digest gum? Oh my goodness, that is silly. That is silly. Anybody else? Anybody else got one? Oh yeah, that's a good one. Shaving makes your hair grow back thicker. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Some of you are like, that's true. I've been taught that. I've been shaving every day. If you will what on your nose? If you fall asleep on your notes, that you will remember it all for your exam the next day. That's good. No, that's what I thought too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So let me say this. If you are known for a person with crazy views, okay, why would anyone listen to you regarding Jesus? I'm just saying, if you are known for a person with crazy views, old wives tales, silly myths, why would anyone listen to you regarding Jesus? Do not get caught up about arguing the wrong things that will give no credibility about talking eternal things have nothing to do with silly myths. Okay, I actually took a uh I put a post up on Facebook last week regarding uh, not just silly myths. I wanted to take it to another step. But I put this post up on Facebook last week, and I had asked people to write down things that sounded like ideal or true or good, um, but weren't actually biblical. And, uh, just to put their comment down. And then I, I had to put like a whole like stipulation of like, don't comment. I don't want to hear your opinions or your reasons or your theological debates. None of that stuff. Uh, I had more, I, mo- I wrote more about that than I did about just put your thoughts of the ideas that we think are Christian that aren't really biblical. Uh, and I had 106 comments on that post. It was wild. I couldn't believe how much it just lit up. And, uh, there were some some funny ones. Uh, there were some good ones. There were some real ones. Uh, and I'm going to read a few of them out to you, okay? And I don't want you just to listen to it. I want you to hear what they're saying. And this is the reason why I did this, okay? Not just for what they're saying. Don't just listen, but hear what they're saying. God helps those who help themselves. God wants me to be happy. Cleanliness is next to godliness. And Tammy, thanks for letting me mess with you, ma'am, because that was funny. Uh, God, and you can't find it anymore because I deleted the post. Uh, God won't give you more than you can handle. We all worship the same God. When you die, God gains another angel. We're all going to the same place when we die. Another God helps those who help themselves. God wants you to always be happy, wealthy, and successful. Christians shouldn't be sad. God will never give you more than you can handle, like a lot in there. And so I don't just read what they're saying. I hear that they have probably been given something more than they could handle. And somebody has probably said to them, oh, God won't give you more than you can handle, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, and take that, con- that scripture way out of context. But they have experienced things which they couldn't handle on their own. Salvation is about going to heaven. Pretty much everything in the Left Behind series. I like that one. (laughs) The Holy Spirit only shows up when you ask him to. Uh, This one. I had this fear as a teenager. Uh, I grew up thinking that if I sinned and then died before I had a chance to ask for forgiveness, I'd go to hell. Anybody ever have that thought as a teenager? Yeah, yeah. Um, You're not healed because you don't have enough faith. Um. I would say, listen to this, I would say the idea of suffering be, being caused because of sin, uh, which that is a difficult one. And, like, listen to me out here, you need to have good theology regarding this, because scripturally speaking, there is suffering that takes place because of sin. Now, does all suffering happen because of sin? Uh, You've got to know your theology. You've got to know your doctrine is all sickness because of my sin? Well, of the fall, sure. But uh, because of my sin? Well, there is scripture that proves that, yes, that does happen. But does that mean every sickness is because of sin? No. So you got to understand your theology and your doctrine. Um, a Christian said this, the rapture is not a, a biblical thing. Uh, So these are people who have been like our students, current students, uh, post-students, friends, family, Christian, non-Christian, the whole thing. Um, That any dogs go to heaven, let alone all of them. (laughs) So if you go to Boardwalk Cafe and Games, tell Darren that he's wrong, okay? Uh, The idea that the longer, more intense... He's not actually wrong, I'm just saying. Uh, The idea that longer, more intense prayers are better. Uh, I love this one. God told me I'm going to marry you. Oh, guys! If any of you use that, I am going to slap you. And so should she. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's right. And so should she. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Barna Group found that forty-one. This is. A joke, by the way. Barnard Group found that 41% of North American Christians think uh, that the scripture verse is God helps those who helps themselves is in the Bible. Okay? Um, The myth that we ought to forgive and forget. Um, We're to forgive, but then that and emphasis. So there's lots in here. Here's a guy that I know personally that I love, that he was a Christian, and I don't know where he's at anymore in his faith from what he just wrote on here. I haven't seen him in years. And he said that marriage intimacy is between a man and a woman, strictly monogamous and heterosexual, is not biblical. I'm like, well, my Bible says that it is. And so not that I care exactly about the statement that he makes, but I care about the position of his heart of what he's saying. That hell is this kind of like an uncomfortable and undesirable plot of land somewhere. That depression means that you aren't right with God. This one, don't just listen to this. Hear this. This is, this is some angst coming out. Church is meant to be comfortable. That you don't have to deny yourself. You don't have to take up your cross. Just find a trendy church with good lattes. Enjoy the pretty songs and call it eternity. Ugh. Ugh. there's some pain in this world that causes people to turn from god to be confused and and will believe some things that that i wouldn't claim to be true and uh it it pains me not that they're they just have these thoughts but that they've lost this hope and uh They're turning to other things. And there's bad theology that's dividing Christians. And this is a Christian talking about that last part. And that's not a healthy way to bring about correction and teaching and love. This is exactly what was taking place in the church in Ephesus. was division and distortion. And Paul is charging Timothy to go and to be a good servant and to confront these these leaders and these people. But to do so in a way... Of love. And the second point that I have, the train hard, he says in verse 7 have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness is value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Athletics would have been a familiar thing for Paul. Okay. In Corinthian or in Corinth, excuse me, uh, there was a site for the Isthmayan Games, which is something like the Olympics. They were, there was a known game specifically from my studies in AD 51, which some scholars say it would have been possible that Paul would have actually made tents for those athletes that would have came for accommodations for that, which I just think is kind of cool. Uh, and he says that physical training is of some value. So he used that because he knew the context of who was going to be reading this and what he w- they would understand and what he was saying. That training is important. Godly training is important, and he parallels it to that of sports, of physical training. And training where you're setting goals, there's systems and structures in place and habits developed so that you can grow physically in stature or in athleticism. So that your team can develop in its abilities, communication, its skill set that there is intentional steps and habits put into place. So for a hockey team, for example... You, you have a goal, is to win the game, and to win the game is to have more points than the other team. So your goal is to have more points, but you don't just look at your goal, because if you're just to look at the scoreboard and hope that your number grows, you're not going to win. What you do is you have systems and structures and intentionality in place. In other words, you've designed your offense and your defense, your players, their skill sets, their talents, placed in a position in a certain way at a certain time, so that you would hope out of those systems and structures, you will attain your goal. Now, that's in competition. You can personalize that. That as we put systems and structures and discipline and habits into our lives, the goal of being a good minister will come about as we are disciplined in the godly things, in training hard of the things of God. And so uh, I listened to this podcast, Craig Groeschel's Leadership Podcast, one of my favorite podcasts. And he was interviewing this guy named James Clear, and he wrote this book, Atomic Habits. Uh, I'm going to purchase this book because I loved the interview. And he talks about, with these systems and these structures, and he says, you do not rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the levels of your systems. And I love that. You do not rise to the level of your goals. You have your goals set, but you fall to the levels of your systems. What system, what structure do you have in place? Because that's where you'll fall to. And if you have a healthy, strong system and structure, you're going to do well. Dallas Willard says this Spiritual formation is not a matter of trying harder, it's about training wisely. Right, Because we all say, oh, man, I want to read my Bible every day for a year. I want to get through the Bible in a year. I really want to try and do this. Uh, and we, we start with this big hope and these big dreams and big expectations. And what happens? We usually fizzle out. We fizzle out after a while. Because we're just trying. We didn't actually set a structure or a system or a plan in place that I'm going to wake up at this time every day. And I'm going to read from this moment to this moment. I'm going to read it in this location and in this place. We try, and we try. It's like a marathon runner who chooses to run a 40-mile marathon on the first go. You're going to injure yourself. You're going to fizzle out, and you're going to be depleted, and you have this unmet expectation out of it. Rather than putting a plan into place, structure, developing habits. And so uh, right now, I'm, I have developed a structure and a plan because I have a goal. I have a New Year Resolution. I like to do silly New Year resolutions every single year. And my New Year resolution this year uh, is to do 1,000 push-ups in one hour is my goal. Is so I want to do, by the end of this semester, I want to do 1,000 push-ups in one hour. So since January, uh, every other day, I have been wake either Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, I wake up at 5.45 in the morning, I lay my clothes out, workout clothes, the night before. I go to bed. I wake up at 5.45. I go to the spare room, put on the workout clothes. I walk downstairs. I turn on the light. I have my water bottle already there. uh, And I have a little exercise machine. And every other morning, I do 250 push-ups. And I have a bunch of other exercises that I'm doing along with it and lifting some weights. I stretch for 15 minutes first. And then I have about a 15-minute workout. On the off days, I've been doing some yoga. And it's been awesome. I've never really done yoga before, but I needed to do some core training, uh, and so I've been doing some yoga. Uh, and last Saturday, I did my test day to see how far I could get. I got to 602 push-ups in an hour. <laughs> so the goal is the push-ups, but the system and structure and habit is 545 every other morning. And I have my 15 minutes of stretching. Because if I don't, I'm going to injure myself and it's going to suck. Uh, and then 50 minutes of working out. And I have my, my workouts planned and organized of what I'm going to do by the time that I need to complete it by. Because I need to be done so I can go shower before my kids get up. So I can still spend my morning with my kids. So there's the systems and the structures and the habits in place to train. The same thing as things that are to be godly. If you're a person who has anger and you want to try and be someone who is nicer, what system, what habit, what structure are you going to put into place so that in moments of anger, what do you do? Maybe it's a, every time you have a moment of anger. Maybe it's a moment of like, uh, where where you often covet what other people have. Every time you think about something that somebody else has have and you wish you had, you could say, you know what? I'm thankful that I have this. And you've put a habit and a system and a structure in place that you are training yourself hard to become a person who is thankful for what they have rather than coveting what other people have. It works for joy. It works for forgiveness. It works for love. It works for mercy and for grace. That We can train ourselves to be good servants. To be good ministers. And this is the difference between trying and training. I like golf, but I am not a golfer. Okay? <laughs> I like golf. I like being outside. The grass smells great, but I'm not a golfer. And the difference between trying and training is what you identify as. So, a golfer, they practice every day. They train Every day. A a skier, they train often. I'm not a skier. I'm not a uh, basketballer. I'm not a baller. Are you kidding me? I just said basketballer. (laughs) Okay? Uh, I like basketball. I try, but I'm not training in it. So I don't identify as it. Same thing with a good minister. Timothy was identified as a good minister. He didn't just try ministry. He lived it. He trained in it. He nourished himself for the things of God. He worked hard on his character. He worked hard on his competency. He worked hard on how his spiritual maturity would grow with discipline so that he knew what to say, the right things at the right time. And John Orberg says this, and I love it, in the respect and the distinction between training and merely trying, okay? He says this, disciplines, spiritual disciplines, they're valuable to us because they allow us to do what we cannot do on our own willpower. He said disciplined people can do what is called of them at any moment. They can do the right thing at the right time in the right way for the right reason. Isn't that what maturity is? The ability to respond in an environment, in an appropriate manner, to do the right thing at the right time, in the right way, in the right reason. 2 Peter 2 says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Oh, I love that. Precious and very great promises. Remember that. So that through them, you may become partakers in the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Virtue with knowledge knowledge with self control self control with steadfastness steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for if you qual- if, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ meaning you 'll be a good minister meaning you'll be a good servant, and those precious and very very great promises is my last point of a good servant is they have hope in God. Like they have hope under any circumstance, whatever comes their way. Yes, it may be difficult and harder than you can handle, but there's hope in the midst of those hard times and of those hard seasons. So when I was a student here, I'll I'll finish with this band. You can come on up. Uh, We had a soccer team here and, uh, we put together this soccer team that played every Saturday and uh, every Saturday we'd go out to the field and we would try really hard. Okay. We would try really hard, but we would lose every single Saturday. We would lose (laughs) and uh, we would come back. And the classic saying that we would say as we walked into the holdcroft was, ah, we should have won. We should have won. We should have won, but we never won. We tried really hard, but we never won. We didn't train. <laughs> we went and played like pickup soccer on a field down the road by 7-Eleven every so often. And the, basically the whole time we we're at the field, like one person would stand in the corner and just do corner kicks. And we would just try to like head the ball into the net. That's like all we ever really practiced. And then we think we're going to go into a game and win a game. We lost every week. Every week. So I got this mentality that like, man, every Saturday I knew that I was going to win or going to lose. I knew. So I went into the game thinking, "Ah, whatever. I'll have some fun. But I know I'm not going to win. It kind of sucks. Have you ever been a part of a team like that? Sorry if you're on a ball hockey team like that. (laughs) Okay? I got you. I I know what you feel. Okay? (laughs) It's hard. It's hard to go in when you just know you're going to lose. But you know those moments, whether you're on a team or you're watching one, and we're going to stay with a sports theme, where there's always a hope that you may win? Or maybe it's like the third period of a hockey game and it's a tie game and you have hope that your team is going to win. And that moment of like that that invigoration, that excitement and that passion of like, this could work. This could happen. I remember the gold medal game when Canada beat U.S. in the Olympics. Oh, my goodness. Right. We were up and I'm like, we're going to do it. And then the U.S. scored. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. But then in like overtime, I'm like, no, we can do it. We can do it. We can do it. And then cross me scores and I lost my mind. But here's the thing. that, That expectation, that anticipation, that hope is how we're to approach God's precious and great promises. That no matter what team is against us, what enemy is against us, what situation is in front of us, what brokenness is in people's lives, No matter what, we can have hope that we're going to win, that we're going to find the victory because our victory is not in us, our victory is not in me. It's in Jesus, who is the victor, who is the King who reigns. So we can approach every situation with the God's got this. I'm going to eat well, and I'm going to train hard because I know it's not just for naught. It's for something. It's for something. It's for my life. And it's for the lives of these broken people who've unfortunately received bad teaching and poor doctrine and poor leadership and need men and women like you to be good servants and good ministers, to preach the whole counsel of God, but to do it in a way of love and respect honor so I want to charge you with this you can stand up and we're not doing an altar call here tonight up front, my altar call for you is that you would take this eat well, train hard, hope in God with you and that you would create systems and structures and habits and disciplines into your life on the regular, so let me finish with this And this is Paul charging this to Timothy, so please take this as me as well as Kim, charging you guys as your pastors, people who love and pray for you. But you, Timothy, but you, students, are men and women of God. So run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. And I charge you before God who gives life to all and before Christ Jesus who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate that you obey this command without wavering, that no one can find fault with you from now on until the Lord Jesus comes again. My prayer is that no one will find fault you will eat well, that you will train hard, that you will place your hope in Jesus, that there will be no reason for fault to be in you at all. I want to pray a blessing over you. The band is going to sing, and then following that, you guys are dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your great and precious promises that we can stand firm on. That our hope is in you and you alone. And Lord, what an honor it is that you would desire us to be a good minister and a good servant, to go and to preach the whole council, to go and preach your good news and your gospel, to love unconditionally, to be a spiritually mature, humbled, confident servant and leader. God, would you uh, help us build habits, structures, and systems into our lives that as we train, that we would keep our eyes focused on you, but we would know that the systems and the structures are important, that we wouldn't neglect them, that we would push into habits hard, spiritual disciplines hard, because we know the blessings that can come of it. And Lord, as we eat of your word and, and find your word to dwell richly inside of us, Would you reveal yourself to us, that it would be so satisfying, way more satisfying than a home-cooked meal. God, I pray this blessing over the student body and the faculties, the staff, and every visitor here. God, we love you, and we pray this in your precious and holy name. Amen. God bless you.